Welcome to the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast, season two, helping pilgrims get ready for their first pilgrimage walk on the Camino. With your host, Camino guide and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. This is your host, Nancy, coming to you from Pamplona, Spain, the first city pilgrims come to when walking the Camino Frances and starting in Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port, France. I love Pamplona. It's my home away from my California home, really my home in Spain and in my heart. Every time I lead a group on the Camino, I get to spend more than a week in Pamplona if you count the time before and after the group time. Pamplona has everything I need and want, including easy transportation options to the rest of the Frances route and excellent vegetarian and vegan food, which is sometimes hard to come by on the Camino Frances. In this episode of the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast, I have for you a conversation that I had with another Nancy, a pilgrim getting ready to walk in a few months. We talk about all kinds of things, Camino magic, coincidences, and the gift of the Camino to heal one's heart after deep loss. And we talk about what is, perhaps, a pilgrim's biggest fear of all. But before I get to that, I want to share with you an update from the trail. You may have been hearing that the Camino Frances is super busy this year. That is true. I had a chance to talk with my friend, Istvan, who runs the Camino Take a Shop in Pamplona. And he said, it has been nonstop crazy busy since the 1st of April. Usually, the week before Easter is busy, And then it tapers off until the 1st of May. But this year, it never slowed down. You may have also heard that for many pilgrims, finding accommodations has been difficult and at times impossible. That has been true for some pilgrims. And that's what I want to talk about for a moment. I want to give you a tip or two on how to navigate the Camino when it's busy and hopefully allay some of your fears. I think it's important to understand that towns and villages and even cities on the Camino have capacity limits for how many pilgrims they can accommodate. Each albergue and guesthouse and hotel has a capacity limit, and if there are more pilgrims than there are beds, pilgrims will be turned away. In some places, towns are able to open up a gym or sporting center to accommodate pilgrims. In those cases, pilgrims will be offered a spot on the floor, inside, out of the elements. Let's pause for two things. First, we have to consider how often that actually happens. With 800 kilometers of trail, Pilgrims will be spread out in the many towns and villages and more than 460 albergues. And those towns and villages also have hotels, guest houses, and casa rurales where pilgrims can stay. Much of the overcrowding takes place at the start of the trail from Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port to Pamplona and then again from Saria to Santiago. However, if a large crowd starts in Saint-Jean and moves along the trail at the same pace, that wave of pilgrims could continue to take up all the beds as it moves along the Camino. The second thing I want to pause for is a question. How does that image fit in with your vision of walking the Camino? If your only option to be indoors for the night was a spot on the floor, would you take it? Or would you be inclined to break your budget to get a hotel room, if there was one available? Would you be willing to walk farther than expected or to leave the trail to find a place to sleep in another town? Well, let me give you a few tips. The first tip is to seriously consider 
booking your accommodations for the first three days to week on the trail. That will ensure you have a bed or a room while you get acclimated to the rhythm of the Camino, get over jet lag if that's happening, and most importantly, get a feel for the real-time situation on the trail. Once you are three to seven days into your walk, you will then have a sense of if you need to continue booking ahead or if you can take what comes as it comes. The second tip is that if you get in with a wave of pilgrims, you could simply take a rest day and let them get ahead of you. Or if you don't want to take a break, you could skip a stage using the local bus and get ahead of the wave. The third tip is to go with an open mind and be willing to be flexible. Many people go to the Camino with an idea of what it will be like and how things are supposed to go. Can you set aside those ideas? Can you turn up with an attitude of discovery and exploration, ready to graciously accept what the trail has for you? The fourth tip is to pad your budget so you are ready and able to pay for any additional expenses that come up like a taxi ride to the next town to find a bed, or an upgrade to a nicer class of accommodations when your first choice isn't available. And my final tip, if this will be your first pilgrimage on the Camino, I want to remind you that everything you hear and read about the Camino might be wrong. (laughs) Or more accurately, it might not apply to the pilgrimage you are planning and will eventually make. Everything you hear and read is based on someone else's unique experience at a particular moment in time. You will be you, and you will be there at a different time with a completely different set of pilgrims around you. Here's another way to look at the idea that everything you hear and read might be wrong. Things change over time. The shop or bar or food truck that your friend stopped at may not be there when you go by or might be closed. Or if it is there, there might be a different person running it. Or if it's the same person, that person might be in a bad mood or might be so busy they can't take the time to chat with you. Or they might be out of that special regional cheese you heard about. And another thing, the weather will be different. Are you expecting blue skies with puffy white clouds like I always am? Well, May this year has been cold and wet, uh, after the few days of hot sunshine at the beginning of the month. What will your experience be on the Camino? Well, we don't know, (laughs) but I can't wait to hear all about it. Speaking of that, I have a couple of invitations for you. The first invitation is for those of you who have already walked the Camino. That could be you right at this moment, or it could be you in a few months. In season three of this podcast, I will be featuring top tips from you. What is your best tip for first-time pilgrims? I have set up an easy form for you to use to send me your tips, and I will be sharing them starting in July, along with mentioning you by name, when you walked, and which route you walked. The second invitation is for those of you who will be walking your first pilgrimage on the Camino anytime from August 2023 onwards. And that invitation is to be a guest on this podcast. The most popular episodes of this podcast are the ones in which I interview first-time pilgrims. We love to hear stories. And I have a couple more really good ones for you to wrap up season two. How about we tell your story in season three? I will start recording those in early July, but please do let me know soon that you are interested. The form to let me know is in the show notes, or you can simply email me at youonthecamino at gmail.com. Okay, enough from me. Now let's get to the conversation with 
the other Nancy. Welcome back to the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast. This is an interesting little conversation we're going to have. I have another Nancy with me today. I have Nancy from Virginia who has some plans to walk the Camino this summer and fall. So let me just go right in and say hello to Nancy. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Me too, me too. So I know that, well, the place I always like to start is to put the pin in the map so that the listeners know what route you're going to be walking and when, what season, and how long you plan to be out there. And what we do is we just kind of find ourselves in the stories of other people. So when you start talking about your plans, other people who are listening can map on with you. So let's go ahead and put the pin in the map and let us know where you will be walking, when you'll start and how much time you'll take. Okay. Well, I plan to do the Frances, the route that starts in St. Jean, and I'm going to be doing it mid-August and probably would like to take my time. I'm not in a hurry. I'm all about the journey and of course, excited about the destination too, but I really want to take the time to enjoy the journey. So I'll be hiking through most of September as well. Oh, great. That's a nice long stretch. Let me ask, what made you choose the Frances route? I guess when I, when I first learned about the Camino, that's the one everybody was talking about. The I've met a number of people who have done the Camino and they talk about the whole Camino as being the Frances. And I know from a lot of my resources now, that's not true at all. Mm. That, you know, the Camino is a, a very personal journey and it depends on how important the certificates are for you at the end, I guess. Yeah. Well, I like to distinguish between a complete or full Camino route and a complete pilgrimage, which is, I think, what you're hinting at. So a complete route for the Frances is Saint-Jean to Santiago. Yes. For the Portuguese route, it could be from Faro in the south. It could be from Lisbon or Porto to Santiago. But a complete pilgrimage is the journey you take, whether you start 100 kilometers or 800 kilometers away from your destination. Yes. But in your case, you're going to do the entire Camino Frances route. I'm going to attempt to do that. <laughs> attempt to it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you imagine yourself on the trail, can you share with us a little bit of the picture in your mind of Nancy as a pilgrim? Well, I picture myself getting up and starting as early in the morning as I can. I Probably not, I'm not, I'm not probably, I definitely will not be the fastest pilgrim on the trail. That's for sure. On the Camino. I do like to take my time. I like to take my breaks. I like to have my stretching time, my, and definitely my coffee. So I picture myself starting as, as early as I, I can. With that being said, I'm not going to be walking in the dark. Ah, okay. So uh, anyway, I picture this as being and this is going to sound maybe a little bit uh, contradictory, but a peaceful, soul-enriching time, mm. but also a time to flourish in terms of meeting complete strangers who have similar goals or very different goals and getting to know the heart of other pilgrims. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So let's look at each one of those. So the peaceful part, how does that happen? Would you imagine on the, on the Camino? How does that happen? I know from some of my research that there are some parts of the Camino that are more natural, beautiful walks. And then there's others that are kind of industrial mm -hmm. areas. Mm -hmm. So that probably is, you know, when you're walking next to a highway, that's not so peaceful. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, walking on these paths in the woods, in the flowers, in the beautiful mountains, that's, I find my peace in that kind of nature. And I also find that a, a really special time to commune with God. Mm. 
you know, there will be times probably I'm anticipating where I'll be walking by myself and maybe listening to some of the music that my, my kids have recommended for me to put on my playlist. (laughs) Very good. The thing about the Frances route is when you've got 800 kilometers or 500 miles, you can expect some variety. If you decided to walk that distance anywhere in our country, we're both from the United States, you know, unless we're in the heartland or on purpose out in nature, you could expect to pass through different types of areas. You could expect the nature, you could expect the hills, you could expect the country roads and the motorways and the cities and all of that. So yeah, you will encounter all of it. To me, that says, okay, what's that internal journey? Like you said, the journey is so important. And you mentioned time with God. Mm -hmm. Is there a spiritual aspect for you for this journey then? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that it's probably true of a number, most pilgrims, that there's not just one reason that I'm doing this journey, this pilgrimage. Yes, I'm hoping that it is it has some significant spiritual connection for me. And I know that there are many people who do it for spiritual reasons. I also am looking forward to the physical challenge of getting up day after day, walking, you know, 20 plus kilometers in a day. Yeah. There is also a part of it that I want. Uh, I don't know how to say this. My oldest son passed away Hmm. 15 years ago. I'm so sorry. Oldest daughter passed away, uh, let's see, 12 years ago. And my husband passed away four years ago. So in many ways, this is a memorial walk for me Hmm. as well. Hmm. And they, they will be with me. I'm so sorry to hear of your losses. Those are big losses. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly my husband and my son would have been right there with me. They were very adventurous. Hmm. My daughter would have preferred staying in hotels and being pampered. And but although she was very adventurous, she loved she loved Italy. She she spent a lot of time in Italy, uh, did a semester there and worked in Florence for a while. Hmm. So they will definitely be with me. I will be taking some of their ashes to leave at the cross. Very nice. Also, my grandchildren have, and my my youngest daughter too, she painted a a scallop shell that we've got. So uh, for each of them. Wonderful. Yeah. It's so important, I think, to take the people with you who are important to you because you're going to be walking solo. You're going to start solo. And we know on the Camino, you're never alone unless you really want to be and, and put up that boundary to be on your own. But it's so important, I think, to take the people in our lives with us in mm-hmm. some way, whether they're still with us in this incarnation or if they have moved on, to have that spirit and that cross of iron. For those who don't know, the Cruz de Ferro, which is the cross of iron, is a key stop for pilgrims on the trail. Shortly after, well, it's after Leon, which is after the Meseta. Then you go through Astorga, a bunch of villages. But it's just after the village of Fonsebadon, which is this very beautiful mystic mountain village. And then you walk up to the cross. And it's just such a poignant moment to be at the cross and to either set down the burden symbolically, or to celebrate the joy that you're bringing to the cross. It's really gorgeous. And then a couple kilometers later, there's a coffee cart. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So we get to balance the, you know, balance our needs on the Camino, Uh that deep Uh spiritual and healing with the physical needs. I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'm, I'm definitely looking, also looking forward to, I've just heard so many stories of people just going through these lovely, lovely villages Yeah, and how the Spanish, I would think by now the Spanish people who live there would be just sick and tired of the pilgrims. <laughs> but my, for the most part, my understanding is they're extremely friendly and just, you know, encourage the pilgrims. And so I'm, I'm looking, really looking forward to that special feeling. Yeah. Yeah. There is a wide 
variety of villages on the Camino. Some of them feel as if they've been abandoned and they're those two people you saw are the entire population and others feel like they're just thriving and they are, they're also beautiful. It's this old architecture and stone buildings and two minutes away is pasture land or forest. And it's just, it is, it's very beautiful. And the people who live in these villages who have lived on the Camino for decades, they know what we're doing. And so when we walk through as pilgrims on the road to Santiago, they know what we're doing, where we're going and why. It's very mm. beautiful. Yeah, it's a great image. I want to go back to something you said about the physical part. And that is the rigor of mm. getting up every day for 30 to 40 to 45 days and doing the same thing. You get up, you pack up, you have your coffee, your breakfast, you walk. The next day you get up, you pack your bag, you have your coffee, you have your breakfast, you walk. There's this emotional challenge, I think, that comes along with that. So in addition to the physical challenge is the emotional and then the spiritual challenge of all of that. Does that appeal to you? Is that something you're thinking, yes, that's why I'm going? Yes, yes, that's a big part of it. And I, I've heard from numerous people who have like, uh, they develop their own or they borrow it from somebody else, a, a mantra, I guess, mm. of sorts that, you know, every morning they wake up and they repeat this mantra that is, uh, I mean, an inspiration for them for their day. Maybe it's a, you know, depending on who they are, their reasons, it might be a, in the form of a prayer, it might be a poem, you know, it might be a lyric from a song, but mm. a lot of people have mentioned that they have these mantras. There was a whole thread on, on the uh, Kamigas Facebook page of various mantras. So I'm, I'm looking for the one that feels right for me, or I might mm. just make it up. <laughs> yeah, you write your own. Yeah. And people, people take prayers with them. They take prayers for their community and their family, and they even take prayers for strangers and pray every day. I have a couple friends who have walked and had a different person they prayed for every day as they were walking. And they would let that person know, today's your day. I'm praying for you and about you as I'm walking today. And it's just a beautiful practice. I think when you're talking about that internal journey, because you cannot escape the external physical journey. You can't ex escape the fact that you have to walk and you have to do all this stuff and manage your pack. Mm -hmm. But the internal journey, I think, takes a little bit more focus and a little bit more intentionality to have that happen. And when I've talked to people who've gone, you know, done the Camino, especially the 500 miles or 800 kilometers about, you know, oh, wow, I, I just, I, I'm trying to wrap myself around this thought of taking that much every single day, you know, how do you have time to do that? And they're like, wait a minute, that's your job. That's all that's your job for the day. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do dishes. You yeah. don't have to run somebody to soccer practice or whatever, you know, your commitments are. But I mean, that's all you have to do. You wake up every day and you walk and then you take a break and you walk, take a break, walk. That is such a good point. Yes. Because if you had to fit in 20 kilometers a day into your daily life, which is about 13 miles, how would we do that? Because for me, that takes five hours. Yeah. How would you fit that? But you're absolutely right. When you're on the Camino, everything you're responsible for at home is gone. Yeah. It's like this great weight that's. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you find, you find what the Camino is about for you because all that extra stuff that has diverted our attention in our daily lives falls away. And I think that helps us to go on into that inner journey. So let's go back to, you said you had a contradiction of sorts. You had the inner journey and the desire for peace and walking through nature and enjoying that with the desire to connect with people and to meet people from all around the world. What's your vision for that? What do you see when you imagine that happening? I feel like the connection comes, well, I'm sure that there will be connections in the, in the walking where, you know, maybe somebody just happens to have the same gait as you do for a period of time. And you just, you know, it's a probably natural conversation that comes up, especially if 
you share a <laughs> share a language. Yes. Uh, because I know that, you know, my I have been trying to work on Spanish, but I wouldn't be able to have a very in-depth conversation with anyone. But I'm sure that there are a lot of English speakers along the way. I do speak some German pretty well as well. So I think there will be just sort of a natural conversation that comes up from walking along the same route. But even more so, I think there's more opportunities once I get to my destination for the evening. I don't know what exactly my routine is going to be. Obviously, I'm probably going to shower. <laughs> yes, that's the best feeling at the end of a walking day is to get that hot shower. Take care of the housekeeping stuff. And then depending on the time of day, I get in, wander around and explore the village, get my stamp. And my understanding is that it's very easy to join other people at mealtime. And that would be a very, seems like a huge opportunity to get to know other people who are, and you know, their reasons, where they're from and what their situation is. And Definitely. In my experience, there are so many opportunities to meet and connect with other pilgrims, just like you said. And I also have observed and experienced that it does take some initiative. It does take stepping out because here's what has happened for me so many times is at the beginning, I meet all these people and then they all walk farther than I do the next day. <laughs> and then they're gone. And then there's this whole new group of people that I have to meet and connect with. And at some point I get kind of tired because I'm, I'm an introvert, mostly an introvert. And so I just get tired. It's like, oh, I, I just can't meet anybody else today. <laughs> I think what my point is, is that it does require some effort. And at the beginning, it's super easy because everyone's so excited and they want to meet people. And there's this romantic idea of a Camino family. So people are trying to find their Camino family. And then at some point you might lose everybody who you've already met and then have to reestablish that. Mm. And so sometimes it is as easy as you just, you get to the end of the trail and those are the five people that you have met and you've talked to, and there you are. And sometimes you walk into a town or village and there, you don't know anybody. And then you have to start over. And then it takes some initiative to be able to say, hey, may I join you? Or to strike up a conversation with someone who's got a table on the terrace outside the bar and is sitting alone. Do you speak English? Can I join you? You know, so it does take some initiative, especially farther down the trail. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. And I can also see where there might be some days where I'm feeling that, you know, not only physical, necessarily physical exhaustion, but the emotional and mental exhaustion. Yeah of what's going on during my day or what I've seen or what I've done. And, and I might want that space. <laughs> yeah, you might. Will you be staying in the albergues or more in private rooms? I'm going to try for the most part to do private rooms, but I definitely want to experience, have an albergue experience. Yeah, definitely. And I understand some of them do have either private or semi-private rooms. They do. And so what you'll find is there'll be rooms with one, two, three, or four beds that they might call a private room. And so if it's just you, you can get one of the rooms with one or two beds and mm -hmm. you pay for the price of a double. If you happen to connect with two or three other people, you can get a room with three beds or four beds and have it private to you, even right. though it's not billed as a private room. And then you pay the price of four beds or three beds or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So definitely possible. Yeah. And the great thing about the albergues is so many of them have kitchens. So if there isn't a meal provided, you can go grocery shop together and then come back and make the meal together. Now that messes up our earlier plan of having no other responsibilities than walking, <laughs> <laughs> but it certainly is a way to ensure that you have that connection and that community meal, which is people rave about those are really lovely. But I'm sure, like you said, I mean, that that kind of chore would certainly be optional. If you've had one of those days that's a shorter or less strenuous walk, then you might feel, or I might feel more like cooking in the evening or, you know, if I'm, if I'm staying somewhere more than one day. Yes. And the other thing is, you know, there are many different jobs involved in preparing a meal. So someone needs to set the menu. 
Someone needs to go grocery shopping. Someone needs to do the prep and the cooking. Someone needs to open the bottle of wine (laughs) and somebody needs to do the washing up afterwards. And so you can divide up those tasks. I was always the open the bottle of wine girl and wash up (laughs) the dishes at the end. So I would sit and relax while people were cooking. And then when we're done, I said, you guys, I got it from here. You go relax and I would do the washing up. And that's what's Mm -hmm. fun about those community meals that you make for yourself is you can share the workload. So if you can no longer stand at the end of a walking day, maybe you sit and chop the vegetables or maybe you wait and rest and then do the the washing up. Mm. Yeah, that sounds really inviting. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Okay, good. Well, let's see. Let's talk about how your planning and preparations have been going. Would you share with me a little bit of maybe any challenges or frustrations you've come across in the planning process? And then we'll talk about the wins, the things that have been super helpful for you. Okay. I think initially I did have this vision that I would have some friends go with me Mm. and I reached out to a number of them and it was like, you know, bad timing. I can't do the whole thing. I have actually recently been walking with a, a neighbor who has said she might be interested in coming and just meeting me in Saria and doing the last uh, 100 plus kilometers from there. So that would be nice. Yeah. But, you know, I, I then I finally did get to that point where I'm like, you know what? I've traveled by myself before internationally. There, you know, I can do this. So, and, you know, it's not like there won't be anybody else there. And, I think one of the best resources that I've discovered is the American Pilgrims on the Camino. And there's a chapter, the Shenandoah Valley chapter is relatively close to me. And so what they do is they have a, uh, once a month, we have like sort of a potluck meal together where uh, there's several people who have either just done the Camino or have done it in the past, or they've got a lot of tips and, you know, they'll do a panel discussion or we'll have a specific topic that they're talking about. These people are just, they're so enthusiastic about the walk. And then there's one couple in that group has written a fabulous guidebook that I purchased and it's on the front says. So I think they do, they have written some from some of the other routes, but obviously I'm doing the front says. So that's the one I got. Would you share the title of that book, please? Yes, it's called Village to Village Guides. And this one is Camino de Santiago on the Camino Francaise. And it's by Anna Dintamin, D-I-N-T-A-M-A-N, and her husband, David Landis. I'm going to put that information in the show notes so people can find that book. That is a, a really great book. And it's a good alternative to the John Briarly book, which is also a good guidebook and people swear by it. But I think it's useful to look at both and decide which format and which they have different types of information. So to look and see what resonates with you and what will feel useful to you. And the other book that I found really helpful is by Russ Eanes, E-A-N-E-S. It's called The Walk of a Lifetime, 500 Miles on the Camino de Santiago. And that's not so much a guidebook as it is the reality of the day-to-day walking the entire 500 miles. That is so important to get a glimpse into the reality. I'm not sure that we can actually know the reality until our boots are on the ground in Spain, but there is so much romance to the Camino after we've seen the movie The Way and there's this beautiful family that forms and the scenery and the architecture and everything is so lovely and they never get blisters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so there's a bit of a romance, I think that has formed after people see that movie and we want that. What I always wonder is what is it that we want? What are we longing for that that movie makes us think we'll get on the Camino. Any thoughts on that? Oh, I think definitely the connection between such a vastly different group of people. Mm. I mean, the people that become that Camino family in that movie are just so different from each other. 
yet they form this amazing intimate connection yeah. that you just don't, you just don't, you wouldn't have, those aren't people that they would have hung out with if they met them in, you know, a bar in New York city or something, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that was a very good analogy. <laughs> I know. I know what you're saying. They're not, you know, they might not have picked each other out on a dating app kind of thing, right? That kind of, wow, not my type or not my type of friend. Yeah. But when you walk the Camino together, it's such a leveler. It levels you down to, hey, we're all taking the same steps. Yeah. And if you want to reach Santiago, you got to take those steps. Mm -hmm. And that is what we have in common. And that brings us all to the same level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's interesting you say that because I, in watching that movie, I kept wondering, when is the Martin Sheen character going to divulge his real reason for being there? Uh-huh. When is he going to share the intimacy of carrying his son's ashes with him? Yeah. A couple of times it was, it happened accidentally you know, but yeah. that's such a, such a personal journey for mm -hmm. him. And he, you know, you could tell he was clearly resistant. Mm -hmm. It brings up a, brings up a thought for me is, you know, we meet people on the Camino who are walking for significant reasons for deep, personal, horrible things that have happened in their lives or trauma or healing or loss yourself. You'll be walking for some loss. So many people on the Camino do walk for these deep personal reasons and they're carrying loss and they're seeking healing. And maybe they don't want to reveal their reasons right away. So it's interesting to note that we can wait for those gifts. Mm -hmm. Those are gifts that people give us when they get vulnerable and they share their true feelings with us. And I think for me, it's like with friendships at home, I don't immediately divulge my deepest, darkest pain right. that takes some time. And I think we can allow that process to unfold on the Camino. Absolutely. And I've also heard people talk about the magic of the Camino. Hmm. What have you heard? Or the miracles on the Camino where someone shows up walking by you who shares something with you that's exactly what you needed at that moment. Yeah. Or I've even heard more, more practical, even within our uh, uh, Camino group, there was a man who got to his starting point and he was trying to get some money out of ATM and his credit card didn't work. And it was a weekend and he couldn't get in touch with his bank. And I think his phone had died, all kinds of things. and he had to rely on other pilgrims and people who were, you know, in the, the village where he was in to try and work through these details. And then just, you know, at the appropriate moment, somebody shows up with a you know, phone and says, do you need to use the phone? You can use my cell phone and call who you need to call and get this straightened out. And it worked out. And there's those kinds of things that just, it looks like a coincidence, but it's not. You know, the, the definition of a coincidence is a tiny little miracle in which God chooses to remain anonymous. There you go. All those synchronicities and coincidences and serendipitous moments. Yeah, that is, that is part of the magic of the Camino. And I have a theory that walking the Camino is the gateway to having that in our everyday lives. Oh, I love that. It's an exciting thought, isn't it? Yeah, that sounds like a real goal for something to bring back from yeah. the adventure. So we practice it. We practice being open to it on the Camino. We practice being present and in the moment and sort of an attitude of expecting, not expectations per se, but being willing for those things to show up. And then we practice that on the Camino. And then when we get home, we might be pleasantly surprised to see that those things happen more often in our daily lives. Yeah. And even just listening to a number of your podcasts with other travelers, other pilgrims, I've heard of those kinds of stories too, from people who have just received help when they need it from a complete stranger. 
Yeah. And that is what's possible. And I think we practice it, learn it, master it on the Camino. Mm. Okay. So you, you were talking about your chapter of American Pilgrims on the Camino. And I think it's good to note for first-time pilgrims that there are chapters of the American Pilgrims on the Camino throughout the U.S., and you can go to their website and find the local chapter to where you are. And then once you've walked the Camino, you can start one if there isn't one near you. Now, I suspect that there are similar organizations throughout the world. So anyone listening to this can go online to do a search online for your local organization because this has really taken off and many people will argue that the what the camino provides us with is community and it's a global community and so it's out there everywhere i saw a comment on facebook not too long ago from someone who belongs to the australian pilgrims yes. the, so for sure they've got them in australia absolutely and i think ireland the united kingdom new zealand i would bet and I'm yeah. mentioning the English-speaking countries simply because my audience is English-speaking. Mm -hmm. But I'm certain that all the other, Germany, France, Spain, all have similar organizations. Yeah, very good. All right, so from what you said, getting involved with that chapter has been a major win for you in getting ready for your Camino. Any other major wins, any other things that have really helped you get ready for the Camino that we can share with my listeners? Well, my kids have been very supportive, which surprised me. I thought they were going to do this, you know, protective mom. No, that sounds too dangerous. You know, you're not, you know, you're no spring chicken and that kind of thing. But no, they're like, you know what? They told me, you know, you've usually been able to do whatever you set your mind to. So with their support and the pilgrims, the American pilgrims group has just been spectacular. And until I started really looking, I didn't realize how many books and movies there are out there about the Camino. It's I'm just so grateful for that. And when I first started, I fully intended to do a complete, completely group organized thing, you know, mm. going with a group that was going to plan everything for me. And just by being part of this pilgrims chapter here, everybody's like, oh no, you can do, you can do it on your own. It's, it's, it's really easy. The, the Camino is so adapted to pilgrims that you might have to make a reservation once in a while ahead of time. But for the most part, if you're not too picky about where you want to, where you're going to end up sleeping that night, you can just walk into a village and, you know, find a place. And that's, what's great about the Camino Frances is the infrastructure is extensive. There are more than 450 albergues or pilgrim hostels from St. Jean de Santiago. And they need them because the numbers of pilgrims are going up. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then that question of just, can you just walk and just turn up? The answer is yes. And the answer is also sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes there will not be beds available or will not be rooms available, but you won't know until you get there. Yeah. 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 My understanding is that particularly going the St. Jean to Saria part, is especially easy to get accommodations. Yes, yes and no. Let, let me share my experience with you. So if you're starting the middle of August, August is a pretty hot time. And so there are fewer people. Then we'll start, say, the first week in September, which is the busiest time of the entire year coming out of St. Jean. So when you start a week or two before them, you're going to be ahead of the biggest crowds from Sejan to Saria. That said, it doesn't hurt to reserve Sejan or Asson or Borda if you're going to break the journey over the Pyrenees. And then Roncesvalles and Thubiri, those okay. first four stops, because there are fewer beds than there are pilgrims. So mm. especially at Orson and Borda, definitely fewer beds than pilgrims. Roncesvalles has a lot of beds and they will fill up. They will sell out the first week of September, but you'll be a bit ahead of that. Yes. Yeah. So nonetheless, it does not hurt for those first few days. If you already know your stages and you're okay, not having some flexibility, which mm -hmm. 
you get what happens coming out of Sejan is you sort of get into the flow of a fastly moving river and it <laughs> just flows you right over the mountain. Oh, good. Yeah. And then you get to Pamplona and you think, what just happened? <laughs> which is why I always say, don't rush the start. You, I think you mentioned you'll stay two nights in Sejan, which I think is a wonderful idea. I think also when I arrive, first arrive in Pamplona, I, I'm going to stay a night there too. Wonderful. I love Pamplona. Big fan. Excellent. Well, let's go on to the next part, which is what questions do you have for me? Oh, okay. Well, speaking of Pamplona, I think my first question is, so I was thinking in getting there, and I know some people come through Paris and make their way that way. I was thinking of initially thinking, because I've heard a lot of people do this, where they just fly into Madrid and take a train to Pamplona and then a bus or even a taxi to St. Jean. But then I also, when looking at flights, I found that I can actually fly, not direct, but obviously you're going to go through Madrid or somewhere else, but fly into Pamplona. So what is your recommendation? What are the pros and cons there? Yeah, that's a great question. And it doesn't come up too often because we default to thinking you have to take a bus or a train. And the thing that I would look at in making that decision is the timetable. How do the flights line up? So I would look at when your international flight arrives in Madrid and how much time you have between that and a flight, train, or bus to Pamplona. Mm -hmm. If the fare is similar and the cost isn't an issue, then you have to go to the timetable. What's the difference in when they leave? Now, the other thing is there may not be many flights a day from Madrid to Pamplona. So if your international flight were to be delayed and you missed your flight, that might force you to stay a night in Madrid. Okay. If you're planning to go the train or the bus, there are multiple trains and buses every day. You might miss your scheduled one, but you can get on another one. So that's, that's really the only thing. It's a timetable and a bit of the gamble of will my international flight be on time Okay. and then be ready to pivot. And that's the thing is for pilgrims who are on a really tight budget and don't have the room to go, oh, dang, now I have to spend this extra night in Madrid. Mm. Because if you're booked in Pamplona, you would lose the night in Pamplona. Right. Right. If you're trying to get to St. Jean by a certain date and you're delayed, you would lose your room and have to pay the cancellation fee. So those are just the considerations of which one. What's your level of risk and how do the timetables line up? And the benefit of flying from Madrid to Pamplona is you're already at the airport. So you can just relax at the airport until your flight time or your connecting flight. Okay. Then... I've heard that not a whole lot of the places in the villages, like the hotels or restaurants or even those um, shops where you can pick up hiking poles and other pilgrim necessities, that they don't take credit cards. So things have evolved. The pandemic shifted a lot of stuff. And one of those is that people wanted to be cashless, right? They don't want to be handling cash. You know, we've changed our perception now of how the virus is transmitted and all of that, but we shifted, the world shifted. And so many places do take credit and debit cards and every place will take cash with a couple of exceptions. I have heard of albergues who actually want you to book and pay in advance so they don't have to deal with the payments when you check in. And they also then don't have to worry that people will no-show and they'll lose the payment for the bed. Right. So the thing that I always go with is to be prepared for whatever I encounter. So I'm going to have a debit card where I can get cash. And that's also the most affordable way to acquire euros is by having a debit card and withdrawing as long as you have an account that reimburses ATM fees. So for example, if you go to the ATM in Pamplona, the machine is going to charge you anywhere from three to seven euros for the privilege of giving you cash. Sure. And then your bank behind the scenes may charge you for being at a different ATM other than their bank. They may charge you a foreign transaction fee. So you could get a lot of fees for that withdrawal. So what I always advise people to do is find out now what fees your banks charge and what fees they reimburse. And if you're in the United States, you have a great option to get an account with Charles Schwab, 
or with Fidelity. And both of those offer debit cards on their checking accounts that reimburse your ATM fees and waive the foreign transaction fee. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one. And so that's why I've just, I'm set up with one of them and then I just do cash. I get there, I withdraw from an ATM that is attached to a bank and I do it during banking hours. So if my card disappears, I can get it back and I do it all cash. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do credit or debit. And many restaurants, many bars will accept credit cards. They might have a minimum transaction amount. So you might have to spend at least 10 euros to be able to use the card, which is why I'm ready with the cash. And then the other consideration is that many of these small businesses, particularly the ones that serve the pilgrims, are still bouncing back from being closed for two years for the pandemic. And every centimo counts, every penny counts for them. And they pay transaction fees every time we use a debit or credit card. And so if we use cash, they don't pay that. They get to keep the profits of their sales and their efforts. So that's another reason why I still go with cash when I'm on the Camino. On a daily basis, how much, I mean, I know this is going to be different for everybody, but like, is there an amount, a general amount of cash you would recommend carrying or not over a certain amount carrying it with you? Yeah, I I do limit it. And particularly if you're staying in the albergues and you're in shared space, you want to be particularly careful not to leave any amount of cash where someone can grab and run. If you're in private rooms, it's not that big of a consideration because you are locked into your own room. Nobody can get in and you don't have to worry. But I carry no more than 300 euros at a time. So that's my standard ATM withdrawal amount. And then the catch with that is you want to find out before you go what your bank is limiting you to for a daily withdrawal. So if your bank limits you to $300 US dollars, you can't take out 300 euros because of the exchange rate. So you want to get that amount raised to say $500 a day. And then you can easily take out 300 euros or 400 euros a day. And then that's what I carry. Then I divide it up. I have two places I keep things. I'll keep in my little cash wallet. I'll keep probably about 60 euros that I use just to be ready to pull out and pay for services and for goods. And then the rest of it, I keep tucked away where I keep my passport and other valuables. Okay. Yeah. I get from your, the way you're describing it is that ATMs are available in almost every village. Every town and city, absolutely. Some of the smaller villages, not so much. But the great thing is the apps will all tell you where to find the ATMs. Oh. Yeah, the apps will have that information. Your particular bank app or the... The Wise Pilgrim app, Buen Camino app, the Camino Ninja app, which has been frozen in time, but there's a group in Germany recreating it. And so that will tell you where the ATMs are. There's a website called Gronze, which is G-R-O-N-Z-E.com. And that will also tell you where all the albergues are. Okay. They're pretty easy to come by. And so that's why if if you take out 300 euros at a time on the Camino Frances, there's no point where you will be too far from an ATM to restock your cash. All right. Anything else? can't think of anything else that any other specific question. I I do have a concern that I've been feeling lately. I don't know why this has been bothering me lately. It's like, what if I, what if I can't complete it? Mm. What if something happens? And I know, I mean, even people in better, better physical shape than myself have to interrupt their pilgrimage for a variety of reasons. I mean, anybody can get injured along along the route. Anybody can have, you know, a family emergency or, you know, who knows what, but, you know, and so it's, it's not so much that I don't think that, that I'm physically, I'm right now I'm physically capable of doing it, but those that I know from experience that that kind of thing can change in a, just in a split second, you know, just one misstep on that trail. And yes, you know, the knee goes out whatever happens and, or, you know, you know, you get COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And that has happened a lot. I'm sure. Yeah. 
So it's like, I will feel a personal disappointment Mm -hmm. in myself. None of my family is going to say, ah, we told you so. (laughs) I know they won't. I know they'll be very encouraging. And I know also, I, I know other people who've, who've had to come home, not abandon their pilgrimage, but postpone it for whatever reason, an injury, a family emergency or whatever that they need to return home for. And then even a couple of years later, come back and finish. Just start up from where they left off. Yeah. I know that that's the reality, but there's still something going on in me. That's like, this is my one, one and only chance I've got to do it, or I'm going to be a disappointing failure to myself. Oh, that's a heavy load to put on yourself. It is, but I mean, I'm I'm just sharing that that's a concern that I've I've just felt recently. I'm not sure whether it's just because I can feel the time coming where it's 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 coming sooner and Mm. sooner, quicker and quicker. Yeah, we get to the point after a certain age where we start to think, I think I should do this now. (laughs) I don't think I should wait a decade to follow this dream I have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. I think you're doing the right thing by acknowledging it and giving it some space and listening to it. It probably has some messages for you. It's probably ready to whisper in your ear something. And then when we're on the trail, it actually is a lot like life. You've had some disappointments in life. I've had some disappointments. The Camino is no different. We've had unbelievable moments of joy. We've had frustrations. We've had disappointment. We've had pain. We've had heartache. We've had love. We've had connection, camaraderie. The Camino dishes up all of that. And I think you're doing yourself a really big favor or service by acknowledging that ahead of time. Yeah. I hadn't thought it, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but you're right. Mm. Yeah. I tend to shy away from the pat answer of it will be what it will be. It's it, that's your Camino, you know, and we know that's true, but I don't know that that helps us to deal with it. I don't know that that helps us process the emotions. Disappointment is a huge challenge to process, but we have in other parts of our lives and we will, if we need to. Right. Yeah. Right. And you can go back. And the thing is, I think the thing to remember too, is that we get this picture in our mind of what it means to do the Camino, but there are many ways to do the Camino. So you or someone else who's listening might go start the Camino, go to Saint-Jean or go to Porto or go to Oviedo and start the pilgrimage and a week into it go, wow, this is not what I want to be doing. Or You might get injured and go, wow, can't do this anymore. Or a dozen other scenarios. And then in that moment, like everything else in life, we have the choice of now, what will I do with what I have? Now, how will I approach this? And if you have to come home and you can't complete the walk, you can always go back. I did that 2005, my first walk, I had knee problems. And had to take the bus a lot on the Camino Frances. So it was totally incomplete for me. So in 2007, I went back and I walked every darn step. And then it was done. Then I was, yes, that is complete. And I swore I would never be back. (laughs) See how that went. Words. (laughs) Yeah, that didn't happen. But I have been back and not just in one way. I've never gone back and walked the entire way all in one go but I've gone back to experience the Camino as I've needed to experience it at that time. So I've gone back and I've walked for two weeks or I've gone back and I've started in Ponferrada and walked to Santiago or I've started in, oh, that time I started in Ponferrada and walked to Fistera or I've started in Pamplona and walked for three days or I've gone and I've rented a car and driven the whole thing. So Yeah. If it doesn't go the way you have it in your mind, that's another opportunity to reevaluate and go back to what am I longing for? What experience am I after? And then go create that because you are moving mountains to make this happen. You can move mountains to make the next thing happen. That's very encouraging advice. Thank you. (laughs) You got this. You got this. 
Yeah. Well, Nancy, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed where our conversation has gone. And I hope some of the things that you shared will really touch a soft spot for other pilgrims. So I really appreciate hearing your story and knowing more about what's behind your walk and what's motivating you. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you. I've really appreciated listening to your podcasts and I've, I've gleaned so much helpful information from them. I'm so glad. It's my pleasure. All right. Well, thank you. And I'll say bye for now. Buen camino. Buen camino.